This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm good, Bryce. Safely under the blanket once again. As these lockdowns end and we start talking about getting back into a studio, I I don't know if I want to get out. (laughs) I know. It is nice to be at home in the rhythm, but to be honest, I am looking forward to getting back into the studio just to see your face. I can't see it, so (laughs) I'm missing it. You haven't experienced the joy of recording under a blanket yet, so... This is true. Well, before the show, you were saying that that is now not because of acoustic issues, but because your house is freezing cold. So I think we've had one listener help us on the acoustic side by donating a couple of sound boards, which we're looking forward to receiving next week. But maybe if anyone out there owns a heater company, (laughs) Ren can personally share his address. (laughs) We'll give you, we'll give you exclusive sponsorship. You'll be the equity mates heater, heater of choice for 2020. Jeez, we, we make it sound like you're really battling over there. But, um, <laughs> I don't want to pay heating bills. I want to take every cent I've got and invest it. <laughs> yes, that, that, ele- also, that electricity uh, bill could be compounded. <laughs> I also use candles rather than lights. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, you actually don't have a computer either. You're on a chalk chalkboard at the moment. So <laughs> I record into one of those legal dictaphones and then take the tape out and send it to you. <laughs> Jeez. Well, let's get stuck into the episode, (laughs) Ren. Today, we're going to go back to a a Basics 101, an episode we haven't done for a while, but good to touch base on some basics to to really understand some of the important things that influence your investing journey. And one of those things that we're going to discuss today is inflation, probably a term that you would have heard quite recently used a lot, but also... You know, we've spoken a lot about it over the over the course of our journey in relation to particular assets and particularly when we speak about having money in your bank at the moment and that sort of stuff. So we thought we would unpack inflation and then there's a flip side to inflation and that is deflation. So we'll also have a look at that to understand what it means. So before we jump in, anything to add to that, Ren? I think the only thing is the reason we're doing it now is because there's obviously a lot of unprecedented things happening at the moment and you'll probably see in the media a lot of talk around inflation and you may start to see more and more around deflation in the coming weeks and so we thought that was why now was the right time to do this episode. So if you're getting confused by the coverage in the coming weeks, hopefully you can come back and re-listen to this episode again and again and again. (laughs) Timeless episode. (laughs) Yeah. Nice, Ren. So I guess the big question is why are we talking about inflation right now? And particularly also you can touch on why we want to talk about deflation. Let's do that briefly and then come back to it because I think it's important to start with the basics 101 before we get into that. But to answer your question briefly, the reason we're talking about it now is the central banks around the world have basically said they're going to print money until they can't print anymore, 
literally they've said their target for how much they're going to buy print money and the assets they're going to buy is basically infinite so which is crazy yeah but look (laughs) this is kind of front running the definitions and basics 101 so let's do that conversation establish all the key concepts and then get into this stuff that is very unprecedented at the moment and will be very interesting to watch in markets and in the economy sure well let's start with inflation key term for this episode so if you think about the word inflate you know you're pumping up a balloon putting air into it and it'll rise inflation is when it comes to the economy an increase in the general price levels in the economy which reduces the value of the currency over a period of time so if you think about the rise of petrol and we'll get into consumer price index in a moment but it's generally price rise in the economy so anything to add ren i mean if we take it a step back businesses change their prices all the time you know they they move them up if they think they can make more money or if their costs are increasing they move them down if their costs are decreasing if there's more competition and and simply inflation and deflation just measures those price rises across the economy so if in general the prices of goods and services is rising then that's inflation and in general if the prices of goods and services are decreasing that's deflation at the most basic level that's all you need to think about it's just a prices increasing or decreasing now when it comes to inflation we mentioned there that it reduces the value of the currency over time and what that does is reduce your purchasing power and what that means is your dollar today buys less in the future if you think about if i'm buying a loaf of bread for a dollar today but we have inflation within the economy that price of that bread is going to rise in price over time and my dollar today is going to be worth less in the future and I might be only able to buy the equivalent of a third of that loaf further down the track. And there are some pretty interesting examples of reduced purchasing power around the world, Ren. There are. So people have probably heard about the situation in Zimbabwe or Venezuela where there's like, you know, like million dollar, whatever their currency is, notes, that the price of basic goods has become just stupid like the the amount of money in the economy compared to the amount of goods available to purchase is just so out of proportion and so prices have just risen in a exponential way and then a lot of people have probably heard about the hyperinflation that germany had in the 1920s and there's a story or i don't know if it's a true story but essentially there was so there was so much money and it was the money was worth basically worthless that People were literally pushing wheelbarrows of money around, but other people wouldn't try and steal the money. They would try and steal the wheelbarrow <laughs> because it was worth more. <laughs> Imagine that. <Jeez. laughs> people putting so, wheelbarrows in their safes. <laughs> so, <laughs> there are examples of hyperinflation, but inflation in a general sense, we see it most of the time. Our governments and our central banks aim for sort of 2 to 3% a year of inflation and so it's pretty normal in many ways it's a good thing to have a small amount of inflation it just becomes a concern when inflation gets massive because then the economy starts to get out of whack the money that you have as a consumer the money businesses have becomes worth less and less and so then there's a number of sort of second and third order consequences of that 
So before we jump into unpacking inflation a bit further, do you just want to finish the definition of deflation and maybe give us a distinction as to why there is good and also bad deflation? Yeah. So deflation, as we said, is just the flip side of inflation. It's just where prices are decreasing in the economy. So, you know, that loaf of bread that Bryce was buying for a dollar, if the price of bread drops to 50 cents, then his $1 can now buy two loaves of bread. So it increases your purchasing power, which in many ways is good. And I guess the distinction to think about is sort of price deflation v currency deflation. So price deflation can be great. And like the best example of that is technology. If you think about the last few decades of technology and how much cheaper so many things that we used to have to pay so much for are, our quality of life has been made so much better by, you know, companies finding cheaper ways to produce goods and produce at better economies of scale and all of that stuff. And so that's great. And, you know, companies and industries will continue to do that. Deflation becomes a real issue when like the currency starts deflating and there's, you know, there's just no no demand is, is mainly the thing that we're going to talk about today. And so prices are falling because no one's buying anything and that can have some really bad economic consequences. Mm. And so an example of the sort of the bad deflation, I guess we'll label it, was the Great Depression where between 1929 and 1933, prices in the US fell by a third. And in a similar period in Germany, prices fell by a quarter. And that wasn't because, you know, businesses were getting more efficient and more productive or anything and people's quality of life were getting better. It was just because no one was buying anything. People were deferring their spending decisions because they thought prices would continue to fall and they could buy more in the future. But also there was just so much uncertainty and risk that no one was willing to spend at that time. So businesses had to cut their prices to try and attract demand. But then people, there was like a self-reinforcing cycle where people looked at that and were like, oh, prices are going to continue to fall. The economy's in trouble. I won't spend. And then businesses cut prices again. And that self-reinforcing cycle then has a number of terrible consequences, you know, inability to service debt, businesses go under. So that's the bad deflation that we're going to talk about. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. We spoke about the measure of inflation there, Ren, which was the CPI or the Consumer Price Index, something that a number of our listeners probably would have heard of. That is measured by a basket of goods. What they do is take, to be honest, Ren, I'm not sure how many are in the basket. I wouldn't worry too much about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They just take a general basket of sort of every everyday goods that that we spend our money on and measure the, the change in price over a period of time. And, and that becomes our consumer price index. As Ren mentioned, the Reserve Bank likes to try and keep that inflation rate within a particular range, and it's usually 2 to 3% per 
per annum. That is currently, our, our current CPI is sitting at 1.43%, so below what our Reserve Bank would be comfortable with. So that that's partly why we're seeing the actions that they're doing, which we'll unpack in, in a bit. Ren, I have a question. Why is it important that we keep inflation at a stable rate of 2 to 3%? Not necessarily the numbers, but why in the RBA's eyes is inflation a good thing? Because inflation's correlated to growth in many ways. Businesses are earning more money and able to pay their workers more and able to employ more people. It's sort of a hallmark of a strong economy. You want to keep it in that band because if you start going over that, and you start getting serious levels of inflation, you start to have a situation like they did in the 1970s where it's getting out of hand, money's becoming worth less and less at too quick a rate, and then the economy starts to have issues. Nice one, Ren. Put you on the spot there, but answered well. So I think, I think at this point, let's move on from the Basics 101 to... I don't know how the course numbering system works. 102 or 201. (laughs) (laughs) 101.1. Yeah. (laughs) 101 2.0. But let's bring in some current context because as we said at the top of this, there's some unprecedented things happening, obviously around the coronavirus that are worth discussing. And it's why we sort of put inflation and deflation as the topic of conversation today. And I guess the, the two big things, the two big forces that are sort of butting up against each other that we want to talk about today are, on one hand, the supply of money in the economy is rapidly increasing. It's increasing at a rate that's never been seen before, and that's highly inflationary. So there's potential for inflation. But on the other hand, demand is at a level, uh, the lowest level it's ever been, obviously, with Most economies around the world shut down to some extent. That's a highly deflationary force. And so what we want to talk about is just, I guess, the range of outcomes that could possibly be seen over the next few months or hopefully not few years, but however long this economic lockdown lasts. Because whilst neither of these two extremes that we're going to talk about, you know, the most likely outcome, they're in the range of possibilities. And so... You know, when we're thinking about our investing portfolios and mitigating risk, it's important to understand, you know, what is going on in the economy in such an unprecedented time. So let's start with inflation. Do you want to kick it off? Because I feel like when we get to deflation, I'm just going to be uh, rabbiting on for a little bit. So... Mate, I'm happy for you to get stuck in and I'll add bits and pieces as we go along. Okay, so we'll try and keep this pretty high level, but inflation can happen when there's too much money in the economy chasing too few goods. If you think about a situation like Zimbabwe where they've got massive hyperinflation, it's because the government just pumped money into the economy, just printed more and more and more banknotes, but there wasn't enough goods and services for people to buy with that money. So all that it meant was that the existing stock of goods and services just got more and more expensive and the currency got worth less and less and less. And not to that extent, obviously, but what we're seeing around the world is central banks creating a lot of money, printing a lot of money, 
although these days it's all digital, so they're not actually printing anything, to try and get us through this coronavirus lockdown. So so what you're saying there, Ren, is it sounds like it's a basic formula of supply and demand, economics 101, that is coming into play. Yeah, that's a good summation of it. <laughs> Just Great. to give you an idea of how crazy some of these numbers are in terms of how much money they're creating. So the US Federal Reserve, the, the US Central Bank, on the 26th of February this year, their balance sheet was $4.2 trillion. By the 22nd of April, so like 56 days later, their balance sheet was $6.6 trillion. Wow. So they, they added $2.4 trillion in 56 days, which is the equivalent of half a million dollars every second. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Some analysts expect that number could get as high as $9 trillion by the end of the year. And so basically that's money that the Fed is creating and then using it, that newly created money, to buy different assets, mainly bonds, to sort of stimulate financial markets and ensure there's like enough liquidity and stuff like that for financial institutions and banks. Wow. A lot of people looked at that and were like, oh, this could cause inflation. And we haven't really seen it yet. And it's kind of the same as the JFC where the central banks did something similar and we didn't really see a lot of inflation. Mm. But, you know, it definitely is something that's being discussed as a possible outcome of all of this central bank money creation. A great rundown of what's going on at the moment. But the question I think that's probably on a lot of people's lips is what assets are best in an inflation environment? You know, you and I have been harping on for a while now about the risks of having large amounts of money in the bank given the impact of inflation and also the impact of interest rates. Very important correlation there. But there are a number of different assets out there. What are some assets that perform well and not so well in times of inflation? Yeah, well, the worst asset to hold is cash because literally by doing nothing else, inflation is reducing the value of your investment. So, you know, to use your bread loaf example, if you can buy a loaf of bread for a dollar and then all of a sudden the price rises to, you know, $2 for a loaf of bread, so you can only buy half a loaf, by doing nothing and just stashing cash under your mattress, the relative value of your investment, the amount of stuff you can get for that amount of money has halved. Mm, so mm. cash is the worst in this situation. In terms of bad investments, bonds also become quite a bad investment because most bonds have a fixed interest rate essentially. So you know you you buy a bond and it pays you 2% a year. But if inflation is moving faster than that, then that 2% doesn't keep your head above water essentially. Mm, mm. So what you want to own are assets that will hold their value as currencies are getting inflated or potentially people will be willing to spend more on to protect themselves against inflation. And so historically, the best hedge against inflation has been gold or other precious metals. A lot of people on financial Twitter and including some of Bryce's favorite followers will say Bitcoin is the <laughs> 21st century gold. That I guess that remains to be seen, remains to be tested. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. No, I don't. I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> right, okay. And then I guess the last one is stocks. And stocks can be good or bad depending on the stocks. So if you hold stocks that you know hold a lot of cash, then potentially they're not great investments because 
the value of their cash is going to go down and also depending on the industry and you know all of that stuff so high fixed contracts or you don't have a lot of ability to change your pricing and the value of the currency is being inflated away then the value of the money that you're bringing in will be less and less you want you want companies with pricing power who can raise their prices above the rate of inflation they're they're the investments that will do well in an inflationary environment Hmm. and before we close this out it's it's really important as an investor to understand and just get your head around the impact of inflation on purchasing power and at the end of the day at bare minimum your investments need to return greater than the inflation rate otherwise you're really digging yourself into a bit of a hole and particularly that comes with cash sitting in your account. So if you do have large sums of cash sitting in there, without knowing your personal situations, definitely have a think about what is going on there, particularly given that some of the interest rates at the moment are certainly well below the inflation rate. So that puts a nice bow around inflation. Pretty important topic to understand and a lot going on in that space at the moment, given what the central banks are doing around the world and potentially what is to come. So that brings us to deflation, Ren. Also important to understand and something that you've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks and I guess are very interested to see how it plays out over the next little while. So do you want to give us a bit of an intro into why it's top of mind for you? For sure. Now, you're going to have to keep me on the rails here. So if I start... (laughs) (laughs) I need one of those bells that's like uh, two-minute warning, 30-second warning. Or or just a shot collar. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess to start the conversation around deflation, if we think about one of the big arguments around inflation, it's that all this currency is being created. But that same thing happened with the GFC in 2008. There was $4 trillion in the US, $2.3 trillion across the EU, and then another $2 trillion in Japan and the Bank of England. So over $8 trillion. And we didn't really see much inflation in the decade afterwards. Now, there's probably a number of reasons for that. And we probably saw inflation in asset markets rather than in you know your general cost of goods across the economy. But it doesn't seem likely that central bank activity alone will cause inflation for, you know, like everyday people and everyday businesses might cause inflation on Wall Street, but not on Main Street, I guess is the the way to sum it up. I think a main reason for that was that we saw this response from central banks, but we didn't really see much from governments in, at least in America. In Australia, Kevin Rudd did some fiscal stimulus. He gave everyone a check for 700 bucks from memory. And yeah, the US are doing a bit more of that this time. But to my mind, it's probably not enough to really see some serious inflation. And I think what we're starting to see is actually some of the opposite, that we're actually seeing some serious deflation. Now, the, the big one is oil that grabbed a lot of headlines as prices went into negative and you know oil is an input into everything so as the price of oil falls then a lot of other goods get cheaper but it also has a number of flow on effects so a big one that i thought was pretty interesting was corn two out of every five rows of corn grown in the u.s are used to make ethanol. They're not actually made for either human or animal feed. With oil being in so low demand, then the demand for ethanol is low as well. So that has a flow and effect to corn. 
The 2020 price for corn is down about 13 or 14 percent, and we're we're starting to see it in other commodities and stuff like that as well. Now, this is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but I thought it was pretty interesting. Meat is a really interesting industry at the moment. So I don't know. Have you heard much about all these meat production facilities getting shut down in the US? No, I, I know there's something going on with pork, but haven't gone too far into it. Yeah. So somehow, like all of these big like abattoirs basically have had their workers infected with coronavirus. So 15% of US meat production is offline because the facilities have been shut down due to coronavirus, which is creating a really interesting market dynamic. The price of prepared pork, so like, you know, slaughtered and cut up pork, doubled in the last four days on the news of the latest plant shuttering. But at the same time, farmers are now looking at their options to actually take their pigs and get them processed. And because all these plants are shutting down, they're not going to have an option. So the, actual, the, the price for hog futures is down 21% for April. And so basically, we're seeing this massive divergence between the price of processed meat and the price of the animals themselves. And depending on how long these production facilities are offline, potentially we see massive meat shortages in the US and the price of animals plummet because they can't get processed or there's just too many animals for the remaining production capacity. And so, yeah, there's some there's some price falls in a number of commodities. And if you're a farmer or you know an oil producer and you're looking at the market and you're seeing your prices fall, if you're an oil producer and you're seeing prices go negative, you're obviously not going to be investing in in new capacity. You're not going to be hiring new people. Mm. So you know it, that that can have a real slowdown effect on the industry. At the same time, the U.S. Federal Reserve is reporting wage cuts for business. Like businesses are cutting wages to try and keep staff, but obviously. If you're earning less, you have less ability to spend. And so that can be a deflationary pressure on the economy. Some countries are starting to report deflation. Slovenia, a key market indicator, as as we often say, (laughs) 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 reported deflation of 1.2% in April. And Japan started cutting the amount of inflation-linked bonds they were issuing and without getting too into the weeds there, basically that reflected lack of demand for things that protect against inflation, indicating that people are expecting no inflation or deflation in the future. But Ren, the question is, that all sounds great to some extent as a consumer. If the price of oil is dropping, then you know a lot of products that use oil in the manufacturing process or you know y- your fuel are going to be going down and which means I'm going to need to spend less. Why is this a bad thing? Or perhaps what are some of the key risks when it comes to deflation that I guess outweigh that? Yeah, so it's a good question. And we can get in these, I guess we can call them like deflationary demand spirals. And essentially economic growth will slow, consumers will see prices falling, they'll delay spending and then that will hurt businesses, they'll drop their prices to try and uh, get consumers in the door, that will affirm the consumer's belief that you know prices are dropping, they'll delay spending even further and it can create this deflationary spiral in the economy where people are continuing to defer purchases longer and longer and businesses are going under because you know they can't service their debt and stuff like that. To be clear with when, when you're saying deferment of payment, you're suggesting that consumers get into the 
mindset that why would they buy something now knowing that further on down the track it's going to be cheaper given we're in a deflationary environment let's put a really practical example to this let's say you had a house deposit right now yeah would you be buying today in a deflationary environment no just like in australia right now oh loaded question (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) yeah you would be wanting to see how the coronavirus stuff shook out and yes there's an argument to be made that you know just because people aren't going to open houses people aren't going to auctions the price that sellers will be able to get at the moment isn't well, I'm seeing it in the rental market at the moment, Ren. What you could have got for, say, eight fifty three months ago, you can now get for sort of 600 a week now and it, it continues down that sort of path. So it's already happening in the rental market. So you could assume that it would flow on. So Yeah, that's yeah. the kind of mindset. If you expect things to not be great in the future and to get cheaper, people slow their spending down now. And that can cause real issues uh, in the economy because, you know, economic activity slows down as a result. So that's the flip side. Now, obviously, neither case, the inflation case nor the deflation case is likely to happen. In, In reality, what will probably happen is governments will help us through it. But I definitely think we're going to see the conversation more and more in the financial media around deflation. And so I think it's important that people are just looking for those signs of slowing activity beyond the current lockdown that we've got and dropping prices and, you know, things like that. And keep an eye on how quickly demand rebounds when economies are opened up again. So I guess the question then is, if we do see deflation for a little while to come, How do you invest accordingly? Is it a a straight out opposite approach to the assets that perform well in an inflationary environment, Ren? Yeah, it pretty much (laughs) is. Like (laughs) in that case, forget everything we've said about uh, storing cash under in your mattress. Get it back out. (laughs) Yeah. No, well, if it's a deflationary environment, stuff that mattress full. (laughs) you want cash (laughs) yeah 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 i mean there's two reasons for that one is the value of your cash is growing because relative to everything else because the value of assets are reducing in comparison to the cash but also it just gives you purchasing power you know if assets are falling you have the ability to spend that cash to buy more stuff later than you could today and again you know to go back to the housing example housing example you can get more house with your deposit if you think prices are going to fall and you wait. And what about stocks? So, yes, stocks are, again, a mixed bag and it it always just depends on the company. So, again, if the company has a lot of cash or if they have a lot of fixed contracts, you know, like utilities and stuff like that, where they don't have to reduce their prices, they can keep their prices stable in a deflationary environment, that's a company that's going to do better. But, you know, if it's discretionary retailer or something like that, then they're going to have to reduce their prices to get people to buy. And, you know, that's that's not a great situation. So, again, it's, it's a mixed bag with stocks. Gold is not a great hedge against deflation. You'd rather have cash. Interesting to see what happens with Bitcoin because, in theory, if it's meant to act like gold, it wouldn't be a good hedge. But, arguably, people... I'm sure people on Twitter would argue that 
a deflationary debt spiral would be the start of the you know the end of fiat currencies and bitcoin's going to take over and you know all, all that stuff so you, you know bitcoin believers have it both ways i guess mm. and what about bonds yeah so bonds are a mixed bag if you get into a deflationary environment it means that debt becomes more expensive for the companies or the governments that have to pay for it Mm. on one hand there's a higher risk of default because companies can't service that debt but on the other hand the if the bond is paid back then they're worth more because obviously cash is king in this environment so if you're looking at bonds you're probably going to look at your high investment grade bonds your u.s government treasuries and stuff like that but you'd probably steer clear of the low-grade junk bonds you know your Virgin and Boeing corporate bonds, Carnival Cruise bonds would probably be uh, <laughs> a, a steer clear. Nice, Ren. So a lot to get your head around there. But in summary, I think firstly, good to get back to some basics to kind of wrap that up. Inflation is really the increase, general increase in price levels in the economy that uh, reduces the value of your currency over time. So it's important as an investor to at least try and get returns that beat the current inflation rate and to that point if you do want to keep track of the consumer price index the cpi very easy to do just through a google search the australian government and uh, a number of websites make it publicly available i think every month so it's a, a pretty important measure for them to keep track of so great rundown from ren there on deflation and and it's going to be interesting to to see how this all plays out over the next few months or maybe even year or so as uh, central banks embark on the largest quantitative easing exercise i think we've ever seen so yeah looking forward to keeping track of that ren so anything else to add before we wrap two thoughts number one is watch the u.s pork market and the canadian beef market both very interesting not so much related to this but uh you know we i touched on them earlier <laughs> that's what ren does is it does in his spare time <laughs> <laughs> yeah trade pork belly futures the second more serious thought is the it can sound scary inflation and deflation and for me like it's something that you know i'm so uncertain about what's going to happen and i think most people are but history has shown again and again that in inflationary environments and deflationary environments over the long term stocks perform so you know we had massive deflation in the start of the great depression in the 1970s we had massive amounts of inflation and yet over time again and again stocks have down periods but then they pull through so i guess the final takeaway is you could just shut your eyes ignore this whole episode <laughs> and and just buy an uh, all world etf <laughs> well yes i think that's our last episode was lars and that was what he completely suggests to do is all world etf shut your eyes see you later so <laughs> then you don't have to stress about all this financial media exactly but on the other hand if you want to own that all world etf and then also try and make some more money uh you know try and beat that all world etf go for keep it keep an eye on the the pork belly futures market <laughs> <laughs> 
Nice, Ren. Well, just before we go, if you've just joined the show, welcome. Great to have you as part of our investing journey and the Equity Mates community. There's a lot going on in our Facebook group, a lot of discussion. So come over and join us at the Equity Mates Facebook discussion group and also follow us online, uh, Twitter, Facebook, we're all there, as well as sign up to our Thought Starters email, which we release every Monday, five interesting articles to start your week. So you can do that at our website, equitymates.com and make sure you go and check that out. So we'll leave it there, Ren. We're also on YouTube now. Oh, we are also on YouTube, yes. <laughs> we're everywhere. Our isolation is doing funny things. We are not on TikTok just yet. Uh, still so waiting for your Equity Mates dance. but um. <laughs> You're still trying to learn the renegade dance. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll leave it there. Always good to chat stocks with you, Ren, and looking forward to next week. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.